Well, good morning, church. Wow, let's do that again. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Doing well? Good, good. I, I wanted to, uh, first of all, a couple of things. Number one, I wanted to thank everybody that showed up at the family council last Sunday. We had a blast. We had breakfast. We got to have some time together. We, we, we had a, it was really great. And, and we had about 60 people there, and it was, that's fantastic. So I'm thankful for that. And, and we really got a lot done, so that was neat. Uh, also, I don't, for those of you who were here last week, we interviewed Larry Van Hees here, uh, who was a charter member of the church. And I don't know if you could tell, how many of you could tell he was fairly overwhelmed by the, by the opportunity to be interviewed and to be part of what he did here. He, he, he's, he hasn't really come back that much, and so this was really amazing to him. And he had never seen the uh, extension that was built. And, and so he sent an email. I want to make sure that I read it to you because it's addressed to you. It says, good morning to my Richland family. I just need you to know how special last Sabbath was to me. Richland was a great place to start. My first job out of college, my first active church experience after leaving the college church, and the Richland church was just launching. It was a wonderful experience for me that I have always treasured, and most precious of all was the lifelong friendships that were launched as well. What more can I say? I had no idea of the experience my visit would be last Sabbath. I felt totally loved and at home. A little uneasy and totally overwhelmed. Thank you so very much for making me feel special. And I did. And then he says, now I know I need to be there more often. I love that part. How cool is that, right? So, yeah, thank you, Larry, for, for being here. If you get to hear this message on podcast, we will give you kudos again. All right. So, we're going to begin a series, a three-part series today on the life of Joseph. How many of you have read the story of Joseph from the Old Testament? There's a couple of Josephs, but this is the Old Testament Joseph in the book of Genesis. This is an amazing, amazing story. There's so many nuggets of wisdom in this story. And uh, we're going to just look at one part of it today, second part next week, and then third part the week after that. So three part on the life of Joseph. Now, let me kind of give you a little bit of backup on this title here. Uh, from time to time, I, I will not lie to you, I've been here almost two years, and I, I, we, Nancy and I just absolutely love it here, so... Don't take this the wrong way. And this will happen one day when we move on. We will feel this way about you. But from time to time, we miss some of the wonderful friends that we made in our previous church. Uh, we try to bring some here, you know, like uh, Spencer and Eva. You know, whenever we can, we try to bring them over. But that doesn't always work, right? Uh, and they're actually from like many years ago. So uh, maybe it's going to take a while. But, uh, but there was one group that I'm going to tell you about. Uh, these guys uh, started coming into our church with leather jackets. And uh, they just started coming to church. Uh, they, uh, they, they, they had patches on, uh, like this, on their leather jackets. They had a motorcycle ministry called Pavement Apostles. And uh, 
they were just always very supportive. And, and then one day, one of the leaders came to me and said, hey, listen, we are looking for a church that would kind of be our sponsor church. Would you be willing to be that church? And I said, well, let me think about that. Okay. See, because I think a church should be the kind of place where people can walk in and see all kinds of different people. And I thought, how cool is it for a guest to walk in and there's a bunch of people in motorcycle jackets with the patch in the back saying, Pavement Apostles. You know, that would be so awesome. And I thought, yeah, well, yeah, sure, let's do that. And so they began to start coming, and, and then they said, can we meet here once a month? I said, sure, go ahead. You know, so we set that up when, and, and made those decisions to make that happen. And then one day they said, you know, we're having a special uh, kind of bike blessing. We do this at the beginning of the spring every year, and uh, we want to know if it's possible to invite all these different bikers to the parking lot of the church so that we can bless their bikes so that their rides will be safe for the spring. I thought, sure, and would you be willing to do the bike blessing? Absolutely. And they said, well, that would be great. Now, we do need to let you know something. I said, sure. I said, now, we just invite all bikers. Okay? No, no, see, you need to understand some of them are outlaws. Okay? Are we safe? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, then we're fine, you know? I'm not sure what's going on here, you know? And sure enough, you know, we had all these bikers in the parking lot. We had a little band playing. They were doing worship music, and, and the bikers were there, and there were, there were ministries. There were outlaws. There were everywhere. Some of them came in smoking. Some of them even had cans of beers. But they were there for the blessing, you know? And so I, had, I don't even know how to deal with this. You know, I'm just sitting there going, okay, great. Hi, how are you? you know? And I'm just trying to be, you know, suave about it. I don't know, you know. In fact, I'm actually talking to the person behind them going, so is, is there something I should not say? Because, you know, uh, when you're talking about motorcycle clubs and ministries, they have a certain lingo. There's certain things you shouldn't be saying. You have to be careful. You know, there was all kinds of laws and rules that they have, more than we. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, wow. And so I'm trying to gather all this, absorb all this. And they say, yeah, you're going to be fine. It's going to be great. I'm like, okay, good. So we had the blessing, and it was fantastic. And there was all kinds of connections that were that happened from there, and it was really, really neat. And then, um, then one day they came to me, and they said, hey, listen, um, uh, we're having a memorial uh, for one of our bikers uh, that, that passed away. Uh, <laughs> they actually said to me, this is before you did the blessing. This is, you know, <laughs> like, okay, good. And they said, uh, would you come and do the memorial? I said, sure, you know, and so that day, <laughs> and those of, know, of you know, know, those of you who know me well know that I'll go through this. I was going through this kind of cleansing thing where I was drinking lots and lots of water, pH, high pH water, you know. I'm just drinking this stuff, and, and I don't know if you've ever done something like this, but it just wants to come out, you know. It goes in, <laughs> has to come out, right? So now uh, I, I didn't think about it, you know, and of course I don't ride a bike, so now I am with these guys, right, uh, I'm in the car, in my, in my Saab, my black Saab, is like a little limousine, I guess, and there I have all these bikes around me, and, and we're going, and I have to go really bad. 
So uh, one, of the, one of the people were in my car, and I'm like, listen, I got to go. And so now they're texting, and I don't know how they're doing that, but somehow, okay, we'll stop at a gas station. So we stopped. This happened twice on the way there. <laughs> I really had to go. I, had no, I mean, I'm sorry, but I had, you know. And so then we get there, and there was a porta potty right there. And I'm like, okay, I'll be right there. So I go to the porta potty, and then, and then we went into these woods, and it was kind of neat, you know. And, and, um, and then at the end... I had to go again, you know. And so I go into the porta party, and they came out, and they said, uh, they said, we want to make you an honorary member of our bike ministry. And I'm like, really? Because I don't ride. And they're like, it's okay. It's an honorary member. Emphasis on honorary, you know. And that's when they... Uh, that put up the next picture. <laughs> they put me on a bike. Nancy's there too. And they gave me the patch. And then they said, uh, we want to give you a gift besides the patch so that you know you're one of us. And they, they gave me this hat right there that said Payment Apostles on it. And then they said, now there is a tradition the tradition is that when you become part of a bicycle club or ministry, the team gets to pick your name, your, your motorcycle name, even though you don't ride. And I'm like, okay. And, and, and so this is Tank. This is Pick. This was Kitty Cat, you know. And so there, was all, there was all these different ones. And, and so they said, and we figured out your name. This was... It, it was like a no-brainer for us. I said, okay. And so they had it in the back of the hat. Let's go to the next picture. <laughs> yes, right here. So my name is Pitstop. <laughs> so now you're laughing. But one of them said, you know, don't get upset. It was either that or Tinkle. So I was kind of glad that we went with pit stop, right? I want to talk to you about pit stops. I want to talk to you about the fact that sometimes in our lives, in order to get somewhere, in order to do something great, in order to belong to something greater than yourself, there's going to be pit stops in our lives. And all of us know they're coming. All of us have experienced them. We always hope there's no more, but we always know there's going to be more. There's always going to be some moments in our lives when we're going to have to deal with a pit stop. And the life of Joseph starts that way, or at least fairly early on in his life. Now, most of you, not all of you, but most of you have read the life of Joseph. So it's not some story that you're not familiar with. Uh, some of you have not. So here's what I'm going to do right now for you. I'm going to give you the cliff note version of this story. Let's put on the next uh, slide for a second. This quote by C.S. Lewis is awesome. It goes like this. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. 
And some of those pit stops, some of those pit moments really are hardships. They're moments that we don't like, but if we look at them the right way, if we approach them in the right perspective, they can prepare us for extraordinary lives, extraordinary destinies. So here's the cliff note version of Joseph's story. We're going to call it good news, bad news. Joseph, good news. You're going to be dad's favorite. Bad news. Your brothers are going to be very jealous and they will despise you. Good news. Because your dad's favorite, he's going to make a special coat for you. With many, many colors. You're going to love it. Bad news is your brothers will try to kill you by throwing you into a pit. Good news, though, your older brother Reuben will feel guilty about that, and he will rescue you from being killed. Bad news is you're going to be sold as a slave to Ishmael, to the Ishmaelites. Good news, though, Potiphar, he's a good man. He's going to buy you. He'll put you in charge of his entire household, and you will live almost like a king, not bad for a slave. Bad news. His wife is going to be attracted to you, and she will have a sinister, lustful intention towards you, and she's going to make your life very, very difficult. Good news, though, you're going to be faithful and strong, Joseph, and you're not going to crumble under those temptations. Bad news is she's not going to like that, and she's going to falsely accuse you. And you're going to be thrown in jail. Good news is, Potiphar could have killed you. But he doesn't believe her. But because he doesn't believe her, the bad news is, he's going to throw you in jail. Good news. You will find favor in the eyes of the prison warden. How cool is that, right? You will find favor in the eyes. If there's anybody you want to find favor with, it's the prison warden, isn't it? And he will put you in charge of all the other prisoners. But the bad news is, you'll be there at least three full years. Good news is, not only will you be set free, but second, only to Pharaoh. You'll have a wife, you'll have children, you'll be reunited with your dad and your family and everything else. Bad news? Well, there really is no bad news in comparison to everything else. The only thing is be patient, be determined, stick to it. Learn how to deal with the pit stops of your life and everything will be okay. So that's the cliff note version of Joseph's story. You got it now? So now we're going to dive right into it. And here's the question I have for us. If Joseph, if Joseph burst through those doors right now this morning, somehow, miraculously came through those doors. He walked up to this pulpit and began to preach. What do you think he would say to us? What would he say to you and me? What words of wisdom would he share? What nuggets of wisdom would he be able to express to us that we would need to learn from him? Because the reality is, I go through life and I hit pit stops all the time, and I wish there were times when I would listen to what Joseph would have to say to me. The reality is I deal with people on a constant basis, regularly, that keep falling into the same pit stop. 
into the same pit. And I just want to say to them, listen, I wish you would learn from Joseph what he learned. I mean, how does Joseph do this? How does he go from the pit to the palace? From the palace to jail? From jail to being second in command? How does he do that? And maybe he would share with us some things that he would have done differently with us. It's amazing how awesome experience is at teaching us things, isn't it? You know, experience is a great teacher, but it's a cruel teacher, isn't it? Because it teaches us, it gives us the test first and then the lesson, right? Isn't that true? But it's still a great teacher. And I think here's one of the first things that he would say to us. Here's what he would say to me. He would say this. I'll never forget the first time I read this story. I heard this as loud as clear as I'm going to share it with you. God has a dream for you. God has a purpose designed just for you. I don't care how little you are and you want it. I don't care how old you are and you think it's too late. It is never too late as long as you are breathing and you are in this room right now. I am telling you, God has a dream for you. Something worthwhile to aim for. A God-given dream. I call it an aspiration compass. I don't care where you are in your journey of life. It doesn't matter. From this moment, you can look out and say, God has a dream for me. Some of you maybe are already in that dream, and you are living that dream, and you're asking God, please let me live this dream to the fullest. Let me make sure that I fulfill everything that you have for me in your destiny. And some of us are doing that, and that's fantastic. Some of us are confused about what our dreams are. Some of us are confused about what our destinies are. Some of us are sitting there going, am I getting this, God? Is this this it, really? If you're sitting there going, is this it? That's not it, just so you know that. If you're sitting there going, if this is all there is to it, then no, that's that's not God's dream for you. God's dream for you is so amazing that, that every time you get up in the morning, you're sitting there going, oh, no. And I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. See, when God's in something, it is so powerful, it is so amazing that you are afraid to do it without him. Did you catch that? This is extremely important. When God is involved in something, it scares you. If it doesn't scare you, it insults God. Let me just tell you that right now. It should scare you. You should never do anything because you can do it. You should only do things because God has empowered us to do it, enabled you to do it, because it's his dream, not yours. If your dream fits you, it's not big enough. Your dream's got to be way bigger than you. 
a God-given dream that, that gives us direction, a God-given dream that helps us to stretch beyond our human ability, to stretch beyond ourselves, our selfishness, our personal agendas, to stretch beyond just making it through life or, or being successful, a, a dream that just says you're going to make a difference in this world. To a few fortunate ones, you have the privilege of getting hints of those dreams throughout your life. But for most of us, we discover it one fathom at a time, like moving in a ship in a dense fog, and each passage reveals just a little bit more another wall to scale, another obstacle to surmount, another pit to climb out of, another set of dream killers to conquer. And I think the very first thing that Joseph would say to us is, careful who you share that dream with. I think that was a tough lesson for Joseph. Let's go to Genesis chapter 37. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it from the NIV here. I'm going to read this kind of fast. So stay with me. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, I love that. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, the <laughs> Bible does this all the time, by the way, right? A young man of 17 was tending the flocks. This is a 17-year-old boy. This is when he begins to get hints of his dreams. Was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the son of Zilpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So this is the very first account of, of a tattletale in the Bible. And maybe one of the very first things actually he would say before he would say, be careful who you share your dream with, is be careful who you tattletale on, right? Because this is not going to be a very good thing for Joseph. Brothers, if you ever tattletale on your, on your, on your big brothers especially, I'm just going to tell you right now, it doesn't end well. I know from experience, just so you know, right? What is it about us that wants to do that? Right? We feel like it's like our, our purpose. It's our, we have to live for justice. You know? No, it's not. No, it's not. God will take care of that. So he tells on them. Now Israel, which by the way is another name for Jacob. If you read the chapters before that, you find that Jacob wrestles with God and God gives him a new name and his name is Israel and that's where the nation of Israel gets their name, Right? That's Joseph's daddy. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Stop there for a moment. Parents, be careful about that. And here's the thing I'm going to say about that. You know, love is something you, you, you can't do anything about. But you can do something about your expression of it. You could do something about how you, sure, you're going to like somebody more than somebody else. That, that happens. 
It's the reason why we only had one girl. <laughs> it's like, that's it. We're just going to love Brianna to death. That's what we're going to do. But, but if you want to set up your child for failure, if you want to set up your child for, for problems and challenges, go ahead and, and let everybody know you love them more than you love the other. But this is not a sermon on parenting, so we'll keep moving. How's that sound? Just little nuggets of wisdom here and there. And the reason why is because he was born to him in his old age. <clears throat> That's a whole other sermon. Okay. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. See, they figured, can I get just enough hate to balance out all that love? They hated him and could not speak a kind word. I love this. It says, and could not speak a kind word. Maybe they even wanted to. You ever, have you ever resented somebody and you wish you didn't? And you don't know why? And you're just sitting there going, man, I, I wish I didn't, but I can't deal with this guy or I can't deal with this girl. They wanted to, but they couldn't. They couldn't speak a kind because of this setup. It wasn't even his fault. He's 17 years old. He's a bit naive. He's a tattletale. He's kind of this kind of goody-tushy kind of kid, you know? Your brother's names are like Nephali. I mean, you know, why not, jo I mean, you know, if your name was Nephali, I get that, you know what I mean? That's, that's tough, right? Joseph, why didn't you call me Joseph, you know? You know, you got all these crazy names. I mean, you have all these things, but th it's not his fault, but the problem is now he's set up to be hated. And the Bible says Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Careful who you share your dreams with. Have you ever shared a vision, a dream, something you want to do with somebody? And the best you get is, oh, how cute. <laughs> Wait till you grow up. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. What a great dream. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. See, J Joseph is not very good at recognizing body language, apparently, right? He's not very good at, 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 at sensing the, the, the steam coming out of the nose and the ears of the brothers as he's telling this story. You know, timing is all very important. How you say something is very important. When you say something is very important. This was not a good idea. Are, are you following me? You've, the first thing that I think he would say to us is, listen, careful who and when and how you share that dream with. Reminds me of a story I'd heard about a Canadian goose who decided 
Wasn't going to fly south with the rest of the geese. No, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to love this, right? And then all of a sudden the winter came. And he began to have serious second thoughts because there was no food to be found. So he decided to fly south by himself. And then the rain came. And the ice came and made his wings really, really heavy. And he crashed into a barnyard. And he laid in that barn stunned. And while he is laying in that barn stunned, freezing to death, he feels a plop dropped on him from a neighboring cow. <laughs> and he goes, just great. But then he begins to realize that actually this is kind of warm. It doesn't smell that good, but it's nice and warm. And so, begins to sing. And as he's singing, the farmer's old tomcat comes around and says, is that a bird? And the cat lovingly pulled him gently out of the plop cleaned him off, and then ate him. <laughs> and the story says, here are the three morals. Not everyone who drops a plop on you is your enemy. <laughs> Number two, not everyone who takes a plop off of you is your friend. And number three, if someone drops a plop on you, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I debated whether I should tell that story. Everything in my gut said, no, don't tell the story. But I shared the story. And you should know when not to stare, share the story. That's the point, isn't it? <laughs> we should know when not to share the dream. I think... I think Joseph would say that to us. There's always going to be people who despise your singing. There's always going to be people that despise your dreams. These, th these, are peop these people can, can be good people, but they actually can be envious people. They can be toxic people. They can be people that actually in your life that have raised you, they care about you, but they don't realize that dreamers must fulfill the dream. And without realizing it, they're throwing you into a pit. You don't even real, they don't even realize they're doing that. In fact, there are times when you have thrown somebody in a pit and you didn't even realize you did that. There's been people in your life that have tried to squelch your dreams and they don't know that what they're doing is, is putting you somewhere deep down where maybe you may never be able to crawl out of. They say things like, you're too young. You shouldn't do that. You're too old. It's been done before. It's never been done before. So you can't win, right? Where are you going to get the money for that? You're not smart enough. Don't you know that only a few lucky ones actually make it? You're being irresponsible. You're being arrogant. You're just a dreamer. 
I, I, I grew up in a family with three brothers. I'm the middle child. I can't tell you how many times as I was growing up, and I was like, you know, I'm going to do this. And uh, how many times they would say, you can't. The, the people have done that already. You're not going to do that. Oh, okay. And I didn't do it, you know. I'm going to be the best drummer in the world. No, you're not. You know how many great drummers there are? Why even bother? You know, how you know how lucky you have to be to make it in the music business? Come on. I'm going to be a pastor. No, you're not. You don't e you're so shy. You don't even talk up front. Why on earth would you ever consider? Nobody's going to listen to you. Over and over and over again. Have you ever had this happen to you? How many times have you heard those voices? Because I'm going to teach you how not to listen to those voices this morning. Is that okay? I think Joseph would say to us, choose wisely with whom and when you share those dreams with. Now, it says in verse 9 that he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, <laughs> apparently he doesn't get it, right? I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dreaming you had? Even dad, who loved him, who gave him this coat, even dad is going... What are you trying to say here? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So even his dad at that moment, who was very upset and offended by this, keeps the matter in his mind. Why? Because he recognizes something about Joseph, and that is that Joseph is committed to doing whatever God asks him to do. And that is the key. What is the how? Joseph does what any 17-year-old boy would do who is fully convinced that God has a dream and a purpose for him. That's how he does it. That's how he makes it through every pit, every obstacle, every wall, everything that he has to climb out of, every time. If you read that story, you go, how in the world are you doing this, Joseph? Where are you getting this determination? Where are you getting this positive spirit? How is that possible? And I'm going to tell you right now, this is how he does it. He does it because he does what any 17-year-old boy would do who is fully convinced that God has a place for him. A dream for him. A purpose for him. Well, the story says now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flock near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Okay, Joseph obediently says. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring word back to me. And then he sent them off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found them wandering around in the field and asked them, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are gazing their flocks? Well, they have moved up from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So we don't really know the story here, but most likely what was going on is that they were doing what they shouldn't have been doing. They weren't where they were supposed to be. 
But Joseph is faithful. He is committed. He is determined. He's going to be obedient. I don't know if by this time the bread's not that good anymore. Uh, the food's not the best. But he's going to go and bring them the food, right? And they see him afar off. They said, they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. See, whenever you have, whenever you are determined to live that God-given dream, that God-given purpose in your life, there's going to be people who are going to hate you. There's going to be people already organically, it's natural, it's not, there's nothing you can do about it, that are going to say, here comes that dreamer. They might not even tell you because they're trying to be courteous. But let me tell you right now, they're sitting down inside of them and saying to themselves, what, what does he think he's doing? What does she think she thinks? She's going to do with that. They're thinking it. They may not even tell you because we live in this politically correct world. But trust me, they're there. They're thinking it. And some of them are plotting behind the scenes to throw you into a pit. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So be careful who you share your dream with. You know what we do these days? You want to know what the pit is sometimes? The pit is a committee sometimes. <clears throat> Stay with me. Young 17-year-old says, I got this dream. I'm going to do this. God is telling us we should go do this in the city of Richland. And we as adults could easily fall into the trap of saying, wow, what a great idea. Let's go to a committee. And see what they think. And then months go by and the passion gets a little less. You know what I'm talking about? How are we doing? We're kind of quiet all of a sudden. You guys experienced this? Have you been at fault with this? To the point where it just kind of becomes where that 17-year-old, that 18-year-old, that 20-year-old feels like, you know what, forget it. It's not worth it. I've been in this pit too long. So if you are that 17-year-old, stay on. Listen carefully. Because if you're committed to do what any 17-year-old would do, if they knew for sure that God has given them a dream, you can't go wrong. You can have the experience that Joseph had. It's not going to be easy, but you can have that experience. So the Bible tells us, that it says, uh, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes to his dreams. Now you have to understand, these sons loved dad. Joseph would never think that they would do this just because they even loved dad and they knew that dad loved him. They, be careful. Don't underestimate the power of evil once it grabs a hold of somebody. And as a committee, they make this decision. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said, to rescue him. 
frightened them and take him back to his father. So he figured, you know, look, I'm, we're just going to throw him into the system, and whatever happens, happens. We haven't killed him. He just fell in. But his idea was, I'm going to come back at night, and I'm going to rescue him. Now, why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe guilt. Maybe legalism. Maybe he really did care. He just didn't like him. You can love somebody, not like them, right? But he had this plan, but of course, as we find out, that that's not what happens, is it? So here's the question. What will you do in the pit? Because I guarantee you, there is a pit coming. And how will you handle that pit? The pit is a great place to think. It creates this space for us to think, a place for us to rely on God. Some of you are in the pit. You know what I'm talking about. The pit creates scarcity, and scarcity helps us appreciate what we had or what we could have. The pit's not a bad place if you look at it from the right perspective. Can I get an amen on that? The pit has the potential to summon determination. The pit has the potential to stir up creativity. The pit insulates us from our ego. It protects us from our busyness. Because we're in the pit now. The pit has the ability to put the God-given dream in perspective. And God-given dreams in the right perspective Help us to visualize the light at the end of the tunnel, the light at the other side. I can get out of this pit if I could just know that God has got this dream for me and somehow he's going to get me out of it. And maybe I shouldn't complain as much. And maybe I shouldn't tattletale as much. And maybe I, I shouldn't worry about my condition in this pit as much. Maybe what I need is to, to just rely on God. And if you gain strength, from overcoming obstacles, you will possess the strength needed to overcome future uh, adversities. If you gain the strength from God to overcome the challenges of now in that pit, you will have the strength to overcome future adversities. That's what Joseph learned. How did he do it? He did what any 17-year-old young person would do who is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has a dream for him. I want to conclude with this story, and as I read this story to you, I'm going to ask the team to come up and get ready for worship here. They're going to lead us in one more song that is uh, it's entitled, You Never Let Go. Because that's the problem, isn't it? Because when we're in the pit, we think God has let go of us, but God is not letting go of us. God never lets go of us. So here's the article. It was a fog-shrouded morning, July 4th, 1952. I wasn't even born yet. When a young woman named Florence Chadwick waded in the water off Catalina Island, she intended to swim the channel from the island to the California coast. 
she was a long distance swimming swimmer and this was not a new endeavor for her. She had been the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. The water on that day, however, was numbing cold. The fog was so thick, she could hardly see the boats in her party who were accompanying her. Several times, a shark had to be driven away with rifle fire. She swam more than 15 hours before she asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer tried to encourage her to swim since they were so close to land. But when Florence, Florence looked, all she saw was the fog. And so she actually quit. She was only one half mile away from her goal. Later, she said, I am not excusing myself, but I, could have seen the but I couldn't see the land. If I could have, I might have made it. It wasn't the cold or fear, she says, or exhaustion that caused me to fail. It was not being able to see the land. Two months after her failure, Florence Chadwick walked off the same beach in the same channel and swam the distance, setting a new speed record because she could see the land. Some of you are in the pit today, and you can't see yourself coming out of it. Maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing. I would ask myself, what am I focusing on? What fog stands between me and the Jesus that can get me out of there? What sharks need to be driven away from me? What habits? What disappointed hopes? What fears need to be conquered? And who is derailing you from living the dream that God has put in your heart. Why are you letting them? The story of Joseph, more than anything else, is a story of conquering. Conquering self. Because that's what Joseph had to do at every single point. And we're going to look at that in every situation the next couple of weeks. Please remember that God never, ever lets... Would you stand with me as we pray? Right before I pray, I just want to re-invite you all. We're having a potluck and the picnic in the park. There's, there are um, uh, maps on the counter there in the back. Make sure you pick one up. and uh, Just come and enjoy and just have some fun and uh, have a wonderful Sabbath outdoors by the river. That's going to be great. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven... You are an awesome God. I don't fully know why you would put this story in the Bible, except for I know that it's been such an encouraging story to me. I don't know how, how to fully grasp that level of determination, but Lord, I want it. Help me to know what to do in the pit. Help me to know, Lord, when those things happen, and not to look at them as 
something bad, but to look at them as situations that can help me to grow, stretch me beyond my human abilities. Help me, Father, to be committed to the dream that you have for me. Help us all to be committed to the purpose that you have for us, not only as individuals, but as a church, Lord. Help us to always, always rely on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have an awesome Sabbath, church.